Open the precious Word of God to Solomon's Song, the fifth chapter. The Lord Jesus Christ said to the Jews of his generation, Search the Scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. The book in the library that God's given us called Solomon's Song is an expanded version of Psalm 45. It does include Solomon. It does include Solomon's wife. And there is much practical instruction that can be taken from it for the love of a husband to his wife and the reciprocal love from a wife to her husband. Their lovemaking, their delight in each other, their love games. The delectable, delightful aspects of each. Their loneliness without each other. Their ravishing love for each other. And the jealousy that consumes them for each other. Jealousy is a good thing. I'd like to say here momentarily, the world likes to make it a bad thing, but our Savior is jealous with a capital J in the Bible. And we don't want to forget that. Solomon's song, a love song, one of a thousand that Solomon wrote about him and his wife. We're in the fifth chapter. In this fifth chapter, the bridegroom speaks in the first verse, and then, as it does throughout this book, it goes back and forth, back and forth, with the bridegroom speaking, and then the bride. The bride takes up in verse 2, and describes being in her bed and sleeping, and her bridegroom coming to the door, and speaking to her to open it, that he might come in, for obvious love. Her bowels are moved at his voice and the rattling of her doorknob. She rises to open to him. She is prepared with myrrh on her hands and her fingers dripping sweet-smelling myrrh in the fifth verse. She opens to her beloved, but her husband is gone. He has withdrawn himself for her to pursue him. It is a lover's game. And if you haven't had this experience in your Christian walk with the Lord Jesus Christ, I ask, do you even know Him? Because He will withdraw at times to have us seek Him. He is there at the door in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20, seeking entrance to have fellowship and communion with us. But at times it takes a little bit of our effort to pursue Him. To seek Him. He has told us to seek His face, and David said, Thy face, Lord, will I seek. She wanders into the city. She is abused there by watchmen who do not know who she is. They took her veil away from her. I do not want to get into a lengthy spiritualization or metaphorical application of this to the gospel. 
But to the true beloved wife of the Lord Jesus Christ, there will be watchmen, pastors, church members, and friends who do not understand or appreciate her affection for her bridegroom and the lover's games that they play at time from time to time. She then, in her desperation, in verse 8, charges the daughters of Jerusalem, all her girlfriends, all the girls that knew her, and being Solomon's wife, and being a king's wife, she was well known. But she charges her female companions and the virgins of Jerusalem, the daughters there, that if they are to find, if they might chance encounter her husband, to tell him, I am sick of love. You coming to my door and speaking to me while in my bed, prepared for you, and then withdrawing, has left me sick. Tell him, I am sick of love. If you do not understand our King James Bible's prepositional phrases, I am lovesick. They respond by asking, why are you so disturbed? Why are you so worked up about your bridegroom? The man that you love, what makes him so special that you would charge all of us to be preoccupied with finding your lover, your husband? What is so special and unique about him? And she answers them. Let me read to you some other favorite verses of mine in the Bible. Verses 9 through 16 of Solomon's Song, chapter 5. What is thy beloved more than another beloved? O thou fairest among women. What is thy beloved more than another beloved? That thou dost so charge us. My beloved is white and ruddy. The chiefest among ten thousand. His head is as the most fine gold. His locks are bushy and black as a raven. His eyes are as the eyes of doves by the rivers of waters, washed with milk and fitly set. His cheeks are as a bed of spices, as sweet flowers. His lips like lilies, dropping sweet-smelling myrrh. His hands are as gold rings set with the burl. His belly is as bright ivory overlaid with sapphires. His legs are as pillars of marble set upon sockets of fine gold. 
His countenance is as Lebanon, excellent as the cedars. His mouth is most sweet. Yea, he is altogether lovely. This is my beloved, and this is my friend, O daughters of Jerusalem. Amen and amen. The wife, the spouse in Solomon's song, so describes her husband. But we are not so carnally minded that we take this book in our Lord's library and limit it to only a description of a man and his wife. We see in it, by the encouragement of Psalm 45, and by the instruction of John 5.39, that all Scripture speaks of Christ. And by combining the two, and more things could be said, but I hope that that's enough for you, we see here the loving adoration of the various traits of a man that gave this bride and wife so much pleasure that she would charge the daughters of Jerusalem with a priority to find her husband. They, not appreciating her husband, ask why should they put forth such effort? What makes him so unique and special? She's happy to answer them. And she reaches a place in the 16th verse where it's as if her ability to describe runs out. I think she's done quite a good job from 17 through, I mean, from verse 10 through verse 15. But she reaches a point where she says, Yea, he is altogether lovely. Every part of him, every part of him put together into the package that makes him is lovely. This is my beloved. He isn't like yours. This is my friend. He isn't like yours, O daughters of Jerusalem. Thank you for reading the 45th Psalm with me earlier this morning. I hope that you recognize it is a love song. I hope that you understand that Solomon is not there in that one. The things described of him are far too illustrious for them to apply to Solomon. And like I said earlier, he was no conquering prince. David had done all the fighting for him. He was a man of peace and gave himself to other projects than military conquests like his father David had done. Paul quoted it in Hebrews chapter 1 of the Lord Jesus Christ. Solomon marrying Pharaoh's daughter, which was his first, was no good thing. It was a wrong thing. And set his life on a course of destruction. So we don't see Solomon and Pharaoh's daughter in either place. Especially in Psalm 45. I've preached on Psalm 45. I'll probably preach on it again if I live long enough. Because I love it. And I hope that you will love it. And I hope that today we want to see the Lord Jesus Christ. The method that I'm going to follow, I have followed before. But I am going to blow up my method. And I don't mean to destroy it. I mean to expand it. And I've been working on that. It may take me a while. 
to cover my new list of virtues and glories of Jesus Christ. And I hope that it will be to the profit of our church. I do not know of a more important subject to preach to you. We cannot become content with mental comprehension of doctrine without a personal affection for the man Christ Jesus. We want both. But let us make sure that we love the lover of our souls. Jesus Christ has called us to fellowship. Like we see here in this fifth chapter, He is at the door. But if you neglect His offer of fellowship, if you will open to Him, He will come into you and sup with you and you with Him. But if you neglect Him by getting too wrapped up in other things, He may withdraw. Then you must chase him down in the streets. Some will not understand your discouragement and why you are so distraught because they may not love him equal to your love for him. You just keep pursuing him because he is the gentlest and most faithful of all lovers. He will be found. The Bible tells us so that when we seek for him, With our whole hearts, he shall be found. Is that Jeremiah 29 and the 13th verse? Thank you. I thought that you might remember that. Concluding a listing of his superior traits, she concludes that he is in every way exquisitely beautiful. The world hates the Lord Jesus Christ. They want to make him the result of fornication between a Roman soldier and a Jewish prostitute. They want to make him a fornicating whoremonger with Mary Magdalene. They despise our Lord Jesus Christ and we shall love him and defend him. When you look at Song of Solomon chapter 5, remember with me that Jesus in his humiliation in this world was not a handsome man. It tells us that in Isaiah 53. These character traits here are not of him in his humiliation and they're not of him in his glorification because his hair is not black and bushy. His hair is white as snow. And the description of Revelation chapter 1 and chapter 19 are different than this. This is where the the value and the weight of a metaphor comes in. This is a word picture of this woman's husband. A word picture of Solomon. But we are looking beyond that to look at the glories and virtues and traits of Jesus Christ that make him so beautiful. We are the arranged bride of Jesus Christ. The whole universe, the reason that there is a Pluto, the whole universe is a stage for a drama of a wedding. 
of God arranging His only Son, His only begotten Son, to marry His enemies. Because He's going to make peace with those enemies by the blood of that Son, who will pay a dowry, the likes of which the world cannot even comprehend by His own precious blood, which we celebrate today. He wants us to remember the dowry that He paid for our souls. This is the gospel. The whole universe exists for this drama, for the glory of God and the praise of His Son, Jesus Christ, in loving the church and giving Himself for it and taking them to Himself and preparing an eternal heaven and an eternal earth and a universe which He will share with them forever and ever. This is the gospel. It's overwhelming in its magnitude. It's overwhelming in its depth of meaning and feeling and preciousness. And it's exquisite detail. I just want to share it with you. I don't care how long it takes me. I just want us to delight in the Lord Jesus Christ and to test and try ourselves to make sure that we love the Christ of the Bible. Let us not love the Bible without seeing the object that the pages of the Bible reveal to us. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know that in the Bible, the Apostle Paul wrote the words, This is a great mystery. But, now if I were to ask you, where does it say in the Bible, This is a great mystery, but, where would you turn? Ephesians 5. In Ephesians chapter 5, where it describes Jesus Christ giving His life for His bride, that He might present that bride to Him as a glorious, spotless bride, and that when a man loves his wife, he's loving himself, and Jesus Christ loved us by loving Himself to magnify and glorify Himself with a perfect bride. He works that up to the point of cherishing and nourishing your wife like a man should, because a man, when he loves his wife, loves his own body, and he should love his wife as his own body. He works up to this feverish pitch where he says, this is a great mystery. Now it is no mystery for a man to love his wife. Because he tells you what the great mystery is. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. Now it is not a mystery in that we cannot appreciate it, or we cannot understand much of it. It's a great mystery in that there is no natural way for you to ever know about the greatest love relationship in the universe without the pages of Scripture and them being preached to you. So today I give you a great mystery that is yours for the understanding, the taking, the appreciation, and the praise and thanksgiving for knowing that you have been loved are loved and shall ever be loved by the most glorious man, the man, Christ Jesus. The apostle, in his practical effort of preaching to the Corinthians, had as his goal to present the Corinthians as a chaste virgin to Christ. That is my goal. If my goal is different from Paul's, I have a problem. My goal is to present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. To get rid of everything that defiles you from the practical phase of salvation so that you can be the perfect wife He seeks. That is our goal. 
That's our ambition. Throughout the Bible, the Lord spoke of being married to Israel in Isaiah, in Jeremiah, in Ezekiel. The Lord Jesus Christ used parables to describe the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God as a marriage that a king threw for his son. Matthew chapter 22, the first 14 verses are wonderful that way. There, there's a parable of the bride with her ten virgins. Not ready for the bridegroom when he came. Foolish virgins and wise virgins. John saw the holy city in Revelation chapter 1 descending out of heaven like a bride prepared for her husband. With an everlasting love, Jesus Christ has come to win you. There is no shortage in his desirability. You should be inflamed with love for him. What is wrong with us? What happens to us that we forget the prince of glory as our husband? And we do not delight in him and every feature of him like we should. What is wrong with us? We are the enemies of God. We were outside that commonwealth of Israel. But He sent His Son to win us. Amen. What is there lacking in Him that causes you not to be one? What is wrong with us? Let's beg God that there will be nothing wrong with us. And that we will love Him as we should. I love the pictures that the Bible gives us. The Bible doesn't give us license to paint pictures or to use artwork or stained glass windows with images because the Bible tells us not to use images. But the Bible gives us word pictures. Very specific word pictures. Did we just read a word picture in Song of Solomon chapter 5 as the lover went through the various body parts of her husband? When we go to Revelation chapter 1, we see the Lord Jesus Christ described with quite a bit of detail. When we go to chapter 19 and we see Him on His white horse, we see the detail. Do you see Him on His white horse? The Prince of Glory. He is not in a manger, nor ever shall be, nor does He want us to remember Him long in a manger. He is not on a crucifix, nor is He John Lennon standing at a door in some garden like, like the Catholics have caricaturized Him in some of their drawings. He is a glorious king sitting on a white horse, his vestment dipped in blood and the horse dripping with blood as he's conquered all his enemies because the arrows are sharp in the hearts of the king's enemies whereby they fall under his feet. And he tramples upon them and splatters his stallion. His eyes are as a flame of fire. His hair is pure white. His face is white. He's clothed in white linen and he has a golden girdle wrapped around his paps. He has a name on his thigh. He is called the Word of God. He is faithful and true. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. Do you have that picture in your head? That's our Savior. He came riding into this world and found you a wretch among his enemies that had raised up your ugly fists against Him and despised His gracious kindness in creating you and giving you this world full of goodness. 
And while he trampled upon enemies around you and splattered their blood, he reached down and with his mighty hand and arm picked you up and pulled you out of that mess and sat you behind him on his white horse and rode into glory. Amen. You say, well, I don't feel like I'm there yet. Oh, it's just going to get better. But if you understood the word pictures of Scripture, you'd already be feeling good. Because it's wonderful what He's already done for us. But He's got so much more to do. Are you riding behind the Lord of glory? Off to His palace to be clothed in raiment of needlework and to be brought with joy and gladness to be made His bride. What is wrong with us? Let me remind you of something that I fear that it is easy for the untaught to forget. Our Lord Jesus Christ is a man. He is God. He is Jehovah. He is Emmanuel, God with us. But He is a man. In heaven at this time, right now in heaven, there is no God to see. Because God is an invisible spirit. You will never see God. No one has ever seen God. No one can see God. That's why he's called the invisible God. But the man Christ Jesus is there with a body from as far as we know, not out of proportion with yours. Just very different. Very glorified. And we want to remember that there is a man that is our husband, our beloved, our friend. It is not a nebulous or esoteric or theological concept about Christ Jesus. God and Jesus Christ are not the same thing because Jesus Christ is the God-man. He is a human body and a human nature with the divine nature of the Word of God in inseparable unity. Right. And you must remember that. We are coming to a table where we will celebrate a broken body, where we will celebrate shed blood, and God has neither. But His Son Jesus Christ had both. Right. His Son Jesus Christ lived in this world for 33 and a half years. He now sits at the right hand of God in His physical presence, in His glorified body, but He's also among us right now by His Spirit. The Bible tells us He walks among His seven golden candlesticks, referring to the complete number of His churches, and He holds in His right hand the seven stars, referring to the complete number of His true ministers. I want you to remember that He's a man. Due to poor teaching, many confuse Jesus with God so that they do not appreciate their human Redeemer. God couldn't redeem you. He had to send His Son to redeem you. There was no sacrifice that could pay for your sins until God sent His only begotten Son with a body in order to redeem you. He is the man, Christ Jesus. He has every natural faculty and member that you do. He is literally, physically, biologically, legally, and really the human son of David and the son of Mary. I wish, for the sake of your affection for Him, you could grasp 
some of the word pictures in the Bible and understand that he could be sitting in this assembly. God cannot sit. He doesn't have a seat. He is an invisible spirit. But Jesus can. Jesus could be here. We will meet him. You will see his feet which are as burning brass in Revelation chapter 1. But do you see him now? Do you appreciate God having chosen a man from the people, born of a virgin, no biological connection to Joseph at all, raised up to be our Redeemer, our Prince, our Husband forever, given a glorified body, and He's eternal. He is the God-man, but he's, he's a man. And I want you to remember that. Can you further see with the eye of faith that you're His bride? You're a bride this morning, loved greatly by the Lord Jesus Christ. Every wise woman and every wise father of a woman should identify and list the traits that make a great man to be a husband. It's the work that a father should go through with his daughter. Now, I have followed this plan before, and I'm going to follow it again. It's just going to be followed a lot longer and a lot farther. In the 45th Psalm, it said, Thou art fairer than the children of men. It's describing Jesus of Nazareth. He is fairer than the children of men. So the plan that I want to pursue is to take the list of all the character traits, the glories, the virtues of a perfect man and compare them to Jesus Christ so that you can see clearly that by any measure and by every measure, Jesus Christ is perfectly and infinitely superior measure by measure by measure to any man. It is amazing how much a woman can love a man in this world who is in every respect infinitely inferior to Jesus Christ, but then have trouble loving Jesus Christ. And we as men are the bride of Christ, so we must be thinking about Him and delighting in each one of these glorious traits of Him that the Bible does reveal and reveal quite plainly to us. I have gathered these over the years from surveys done of women for what they look for in a man to marry. And I have created the rest knowing what they're too foolish and ignorant to know for themselves. What makes a perfect man? And so we're going to exhaust the list of traits that make a perfect man and find out that everyone we look at, the Scriptures come alive by showing us Jesus Christ exceeds by an infinite measure every one of those traits. Let's take the desired traits for the perfect husband and consider them in the light of Jesus of Nazareth. You are able, you women, and we men, will delight sometimes in a man who is great, a man who has great virtues and traits. And 
the wives in here don't do that as well because there's no great men in here in comparison to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I need to ask you to reject all thoughts about a prospective husband or your husband. Because we're not talking about natural things. We're talking about spiritual things. Behold, I tell you a great mystery. I'm speaking of Christ and His church. So forget your husband. Forget the man you'd like to marry. Forget all those distracting carnal thoughts that will steal this sermon from you. And think only of Christ and His love for His church, which is us. He is our beloved. He is our friend. He is our spouse. He is our lover and our husband. Please forgive me for not being able to preach this the way that it should be preached. If I knew who to put up here that could do it right, they would be here and I would be saying amen ten times all that you have said amen because of this subject. Thou art fairer than the children of men. So let's look at the children of men and compare them to him who is fairer. The first trait that women find desirable in a husband and which we as men, being the bride of Christ, should find desirable in looking to a prince that would be our husband to whom we would pledge our lives and our love and our service and praise and worship forever and ever, he should have some achievements. Great men have great achievements. What has a man accomplished in his life to show his abilities to care for a wife and to be famous and to be great and to make her name great because she's married to one great? Now I'm going to say it for the second time. Forget your husband. Forget any husband in this room other than the Lord Jesus Christ who's here by His Spirit. Forget anyone that you think might be your husband. Forget that. Those are all carnal and natural thoughts. They're wrong. Think along with me spiritually. Thou art fairer than the children of men. The children of men do look for a man with achievements, accomplishments, great things he's done because that makes him famous. Every woman Every wise woman, and I'm not talking about your marriage. I'm talking, I'm building up to show you the Lord Jesus Christ. So can you help me follow my plan without it distracting your mind? Great men get great women. Women want to be married to a great man. It makes marriage a whole lot more exciting than being married to a lesser man. And when we come to the Word of God, what has a man accomplished in his life to show his abilities to care for a wife? Think about the Lord Jesus Christ with me for a moment. The Bible tells me that Jesus Christ created the worlds. Now that's better than inventing a toy that sold at Toys R Us. He created the worlds. And every beautiful and unique feature of them, He created. It doesn't matter whether you're in the book of Job and you are considering the eagle, the horse, the ostrich or the peacock. Your husband designed the tail feathers of the one, the mane of another, and the pitiful brain of the third, the ostrich. Your husband did that. And he did it for you to enjoy it. And all the other animals that could be raised. 
The animals that are very small, that have great wisdom in them, in Proverbs chapter 30, He made each of those small creatures to convey wisdom to us. And He upholds all those things by the word of His power. You say, I love a powerful man. Okay, you love a powerful man. The world says that power is the greatest aphrodisiac. Aphrodisiac is a substance that creates love for a man. You want power? He upholds all things by the word of his power. The Bible says that in the word of a king, there is power. But there's no power like this king and his word. He's your husband. Do you love him this morning? Hebrews 1 tells us that. By him all things consist. He holds together the cells of your body and their various components. Everything consists by his mighty power. We want to think about achievement. Has the Lord Jesus Christ achieved anything that should be worthy of you loving him, adoring him, and fantasizing, which we're going to call faith, that he is your savior? Because we're going to believe it by faith because the Bible tells us so. When women see, listen, we as the children of men are this pitiful. The quarterback of the football team in a high school gets ten times the attention of a lineman on the football team in a high school. Because the quarterback is looked at as a more principal part of a winning football team. And it's a position where there's only one or two. And so cheerleaders and other girls see the man with the letter in the hallway who's built differently than the linemen who gets the glory in the Friday night football games and they love the quarterback. It's so pitiful. And so the Bible says, Thou art fairer than the children of men. David killed Goliath. And with that single act of heroism and courage and strength and faith, when he returned to Israel with Goliath's ugly head in one hand and Goliath's sword in the other, the women of Israel sang, Saul hath slain his thousands, but David his ten thousands. David had elevated himself by a great achievement. Has your husband, has the man Christ Jesus achieved anything? I'm just getting started. He created the worlds and he upholds them by the word of his power and by him all things consist and every aspect of the world that you delight in, whether it's a garden or a, or a redwood tree in California or the stars of heaven that are, that are so many we cannot count them and greater than our own sun or it's the birth of a human baby with ten perfect fingernails and ten perfect toenails. I don't care what you think of. He spoke the word. He does it. He designed it. He's behind it. It's his achievement. Do you love your husband? The Bible wants to present Jesus Christ as the creator of all things. So it tells us that. When When Paul started out in Hebrews, God, who at sundry times and in divers manners, spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, by whom also he made the worlds. Amen. 
when Paul started out talking about Jesus, who made the worlds. The worlds. Whatever worlds you want to name, he made it. Whatever worlds you want to find, he made it. Praise his name. He always did those things that pleased God, so that God was well pleased with him. This is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. I give you another achievement. You think it's great that a man gets a letter for being a quarterback on a football team? He walks across a stage in a gymnasium and gets a stupid piece of cloth to sew on his sweater or his jacket? How about... This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased from the God of heaven. This is the man, Christ Jesus. And this man, Christ Jesus, seriously loves you and has given his life for you and will never forsake you and is preparing a place for you and will come for you and he will not lose a single one of us and he's going to share his entire inheritance with us because we're joint heirs with Christ. Do you love him this morning? Look at his achievements, and I haven't got started yet. He defeated Satan. Forget defeating the other class 2A school in a football game that was determined by the refs anyway. Forget all that. He defeated Satan. The most powerful created being in the universe. Short of... The God-man Christ Jesus. He defeated death. He said, destroy this temple. They didn't know what he meant, but you and I do. Destroy this temple and bury it in the ground, and I will come forth in three days and three nights. Now, how's that for a victory? That is your husband. You're afraid of dying? You're afraid of death? I tell you about a husband that loves you, who already went through it for you, and smashed it out of the way, so that the Bible could say, He hath abolished death, and hath brought life, and immortality to light through the gospel. Amen. That's your husband. You say, well, what about being a VP of a bank? Jesus owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Amen. He owns everything. And according to the riches of His glory that are in Christ Jesus, He's able to pay anything. Oh, but I'm getting ahead of myself. His economic ability is not yet to come. We're talking about His achievements. He destroyed the grave so that we can shout over the grave. He by Himself purged our sins. Now when it says by Himself in a King James Bible in Hebrews 1.3, how many more saviors does it allow for? How many helpers? How much cooperative assistance? None. When he had by himself purged our sins, he sat down because the work was finished, which were his words on the cross. And his words on the cross should bless our hearts. It is finished! Thank you, Lord Jesus. The grave could not contain him. He tore the bars of death away. He obtained immortality for you. He ascended up into heaven and was promoted and rewarded with a seat at God's right hand forevermore. A man, not an angel. A man was promoted over every angel. There are powerful angels. They all have ranks. They're like, they're ordered like the military. 
They all have ranks, but Jesus Christ is over all of them. They're called principalities and powers and thrones and might and dominion. And they have names. But the Bible tells us Jesus has been promoted by this achievement that I'm talking about. Dying for you and me. Rising from the dead. He laid his life down. He took it again. He ascended to the right hand of God. Far above all principalities and powers, thrones, might and dominion, and every name that is to be named, not only in this world, but in the world to come. That is your husband. Your husband can say the word and save you from any trouble in this world or in the world to come. He is altogether lovely. This is my beloved and this is my friend. Is he your beloved and your friend? He mediated the greatest legal acquittal ever. You want to be married to a lawyer? I enjoy this method. I hope that you enjoy it. I enjoy the method of thinking of a woman that wants to be married to a lawyer who becomes a law partner in some firm, and once in a while they win a case. Once in a while, or all the time, they get big payoffs, whether they win or lose. But the Lord Jesus Christ is the one mediator between God and men And he made peace by the blood of his cross in the greatest legal acquittal ever with a divine being that cannot acquit the wicked. Then how did he get an acquittal? Because he himself provided himself as the sacrifice for the justice of that infinite judge who poured out his wrath upon him in order to win the case, the case being your eternal destiny. How's that for an You want to be married to an attorney? You are! The one mediator between man and God, the man Christ Jesus. You say, well, I want to hear some more achievements. Okay. My husband and your husband, my beloved and friend and your beloved and friend, the man Christ Jesus at the age of 30, was at a wedding. And they ran out of wine. What a dilemma. He said, those six big water pots there, fill them with water and take them to the governor of the feast. Ah, By conservative measurements, it was 70 gallons, about 350 bottles of wine. When the governor of the feast popped a cork, there wasn't a cork, I know. They were big water jugs, okay? When he tasted some of that wine, he wanted to know why the best had been saved for last. Now, my husband is able to entertain, but that's another point. I'm scared. I don't want to get ahead of myself. I'm going to take my time. Every woman wants to marry an entertainer who can have guests over. He's charming. He's comfortable. He's relaxed. And he knows how to pay for a great dinner. Well, my husband, when he was at a wedding feast and they ran out of wine, said, bear water to the governor of the feast. And the governor said, why have we saved the best for last? We should have had the best first. Then when men are well drunk, we can give them the cheap stuff. That's my husband. Do you know him? He fed 5,000 with a small lunch. He knows how to entertain when people are hungry. They were all filled, it tells me. That means it was a buffet. They got as much as they wanted. And they had 12 baskets full left over afterwards. You never run out of food at the table of my husband. He always fixes enough. You know, he calmed great storms with his word. He could turn a great storm into a great calm by saying the words, 
peace. Be still. And there would be a great calm. My husband, your husband, changed the Gadarene into a peaceful citizen. The man who had been chained, but chains couldn't bind him or hold him, and who lived in the cemetery, was changed into a man who put on normal clothes and sat in his right mind because of the achievements of him who is called Counselor. Do you love him? You can go to him right now by faith. While I preach, you can run to him by faith and say, Counselor, my Savior, my Beloved, keep changing me that I will be in my right mind always and never like the Gadarene. He's able. He's done it before. He's done it with me. He can do it with you. He changed Saul of Tarsus to be Paul the Apostle. Are those some decent achievements? What is your record, you great men that are sitting before me? What is your record in the conversion of sinners? He changed Saul of Tarsus to the Apostle Paul. He won the thief on the cross at the end of his life. He took the crucifixion without threatening those who were crucifying him. He received honor from heaven. He raised Lazarus from the dead. He resisted the devil in the desert when he was tempted for 40 days and 40 nights. He stopped a funeral buyer that carried the son of a widow, the only son of a widow. He wisely answered every devious attempt to trick him. He cleansed the temple of thieves. He yielded to no temptation during his life. He forgave the very men who crucified him. He blocked out the son at his death, and he rose from the dead. Amen. You want to see his resume? I just read a token of it to you. It's found in the pages of Scripture. He is altogether lovely. Right. Yea, he is altogether lovely. Let me close with an obscure little verse. Turn to it. Amos chapter 5. Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos. And I close for the moment. Achievement. You know, we've had two princes in England. They were described as, at times, as the two most eligible men in the world. What does that mean? It means that they were the two most desirable men for a girl to get to marry them because they were princes. And even though they're puppet princes, in a great sense of the word, in that nation where the monarchy is really just for show and tell and tourist income, they were the most eligible. One's been married, the other one's still around. Prince Harry's still playing around. But it's achievement. You know, they've served, they've got, they've went to the best schools, got decent grades, probably helped out a little bit by their teachers. But what are they? And I speak this respectfully. They're twits. Make, you can make twit mean whatever you want it to compared to the Lord of glory. Right. You want to talk about achievements? I have a little verse for you that I, I think is amusing and wonderful 
in worshiping my Lord, my husband. Amos chapter 5, verse 8. Are you seeking your husband this morning? Listen to these words. Seek him that maketh the seven stars and Orion. Those are two constellations in the sky. Seek him that maketh the seven stars and Orion and turneth the shadow of death into the morning who makes the sun come up every morning and gets rid of the shadow of death and maketh the day dark with night by putting that sun down so you can go to bed and sleep and get rested. That calleth for the waters of the sea and poureth them out upon the face of the earth that designed a water cycle that picks up water, carries it over the earth, and waters the earth. The Lord is His name. The Lord is His name. That is your husband. That is your beloved. Brethren, what is our beloved different from another beloved? What is our friend different from another friend? He is altogether lovely. We've considered one aspect... And it could be multiplied until we turn this sermon into a never-ending stream of praise. And it's achievement. What has our husband achieved or accomplished in his life that is worthy of our praise? He has created all things, and they were created for himself. He has defeated death. He always pleased God. He overcame the grave. He brought immortality and life to light and accomplished it and abolished death. And all the miracles that we read about in the pages of the Gospels, He is altogether lovely. Do you love Him this morning? The Lord Jesus Christ is what is testified to in the pages of Scripture. From the third chapter of Genesis, we read that the enemy of our first parents that cast a pallor upon this world and destroyed paradise by bringing death upon Adam and Eve, it says, He shall bruise His head. A fatal wound would be given to the devil that destroyed our lives and our paradise through our first parents. Jesus did that all the way to Revelation chapter 22 that He's going to welcome you into glory and the response of happy voices and hearts of His beloved spouse is even so come quickly, Lord Jesus. He is altogether lovely. Amen.